Hello, I'm Mike Ryan, and welcome to Asia Pacific Today. Is the time coming for some truth-telling by government authorities and our public health experts? When will authorities right the wrongs of measuring the prevalence of the virus and the overstatement of cases and deaths? Why is early treatment of the disease so shrouded in controversy and censorship? And with vaccines now being distributed, why are governments still hell-bent on ineffective lockdowns? even in localities where few cases exist. Previously, the American Medical Association had issued a statement in March 2020 that was highly critical of hydroxychloroquine, or HCQ, in regards to its use as a proposed treatment by some physicians in the early stages of COVID-19. In addition to discouraging doctors from ordering the medication in bulk for off-label use, HCQ typically is used to treat diseases such as malaria. They also claimed that there was no proof that it was effective in treating COVID and that its use could be harmful in some instances. However, on page 18 of a recent AMA memo issued on October 30, resolution 509, page 3, that the American Medical Association officially reversed their stance on HCQ, stating that its potential for good currently may supersede the threat of any potential harmful side effects. Earlier this week, an Australian politician, Craig Kelly, was attacked, laughed at, and basically dismissed as a crackpot for suggesting that Australia should also look at hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. I'm actually telling them that the PM is stop you spreading these crazy conspiracy theories. Did you hear about Professor Clancy? You've got to listen to our most senior immunologist, Daniel. It's Professor Robert Clancy. Listen to him. Go and get his stuff. Read what he's saying, and you'll find out, and then you can come and apologise to us. Uh, okay? My, my, my mum lives in your electorate, and I don't okay. want her exposed to people. Well, okay. I'm not well, going well, to be listen to Robert. because of these crazy conspiracy well, theories yeah. that you're spreading. Well, you're the one doing that because you are the one spreading this information. Right? You've got to listen to, listen to the professors. After more than 12 months, there's still serious questions on China's part in the spread of the virus and its poor management from the earliest stages. Why aren't government authorities accountable? The COVID-19 pandemic is being increasingly seen as an ugly game of politics, played by leaders and public health officials around the world. Considering their self-interest over the well-being of their people, governments globally have used the pandemic to gain political advantage and power. Vital information has been restricted or manipulated to keep populations fearful and grateful. Mainstream media, big tech and social media have been encouraged to spread misinformation and hysteria. Shut you down. Millions have died, in the main the most vulnerable, while millions more have faced enormous suffering from indiscriminately imposed restrictions on their liberty and right to earn a living. 
Kirk Clyde, correspondent for Asia Pacific today and an international broadcaster of great yes. repute, has just recently recovered from coronavirus. First of all, Kirk, how are you? Well, I'm not completely recovered. I'd say I'm about 90% of the way back, but I'm still having the night sweats, still a little bit of fatigue. It was a horrible experience. It destroyed my January, but at least I feel like I've still got a life to go with. A little disheveled today. You can see I haven't been able to get a haircut in like two months mm. because, you, you know, you don't go out and get a haircut. You're looking like Don King. Don King, yeah, right. And our shower is being repaired today. So a little disheveled, but I mean, it, you'll show some video, I think, of when I was really disheveled. During the uh, month of January, it's an, um, it was an emotional, traumatic experience that did not have to happen. We did this to ourselves in the United States, and it's a national disgrace. Mm. And it'll be fascinating to see the way history portrays it as we go forward. I mean, I know it's been tough for folks in Australia and some on the right. You know, you've got people like Alan Jones saying, oh, my God, one case in Perth and mm. you shut things down for a week. But you have to decide what's more important, lives or the economy. And you remember that's Rent, the musical Rent, how many minutes in a year? Well, over the past year, if you average it all out, it's been about one death per minute per year here in the United States. By the time we get to the end of February, mm. really things shut down March 17th last year, it will be well over 500,000 deaths, roughly a death a minute. Kirk, did you have serious symptoms before you had con say, contracted uh, COVID-19? And what was the alarming, the, 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 the red flags for you? Well, actually, I went for four tests during the course of the year because sometimes you're just not feeling right. Mm. And the symptoms can be different for other people. My partner, Mark, who I believe that's where we got it from because he works for a major department store or worked because of their irresponsibility, he actually quit that job. And his visual marketing unit of a major chain, 15 people worked in it. He was the supervisor there. Of those 15, 13 of them came down with COVID. And of course, they transmitted it to their families. So during the course of the last year, anytime I felt a little off, I'd get a test. The National Guard providing the test here in Nevada. So I got four tests. They're all different kinds. Some they stick down your throat. Some they stick down your nose. Some you twirl it around in your nose. And on December 31st to end what was a memorable year in more ways than one got a test. Mm. They were very efficient. The Southern Nevada Health Department came back the next day and it was positive. And generally, not always, but generally, if one member of your family has got it, everybody has got it mm. because it's uh, just that contagious. So the other times I test previous to that was December the 7th. It was negative, but the December 31st test was positive. And then, oh, Katie, bar the door. What about treatment, though? Once, once you were diagnosed with COVID-19, what sort of treatment did you have? Well, I didn't bring it out to the duck pond with me. The a pulse oximeter, which is that little device that you uh, stick on your finger. If you go to a health checkup, mm -hmm. they'll stick it on there. And that measures your blood oxygen and your pulse. That is something you keep an eye on because mine dropped down consistently to 90. Mm. And if it stays in the upper 80s or mid 80s, you have to go to the hospital for oxygen therapy. Mm. Gets any worse than that. Those are the folks that go on the respirator. So for a couple of days, I would say it was nip and tuck. You stay home. You treat it with basically acetaminophen, with aspirin. You just kind of talk to your doctor. Unfortunately, my daughter is a doctor. So I was able to have a tremendous amount of text medicine with her. 
But realistically, unless you're near death, the emergency rooms, the hospitals, they've been so crowded that it's pretty much you're on your own. And, you know, just to give you kind of a, a difference between, say, Australia or even Vietnam, for that matter, certainly New Zealand, Taiwan, we're down a couple of days in a row here in Nevada with under a thousand new cases a day, under a thousand in mm. one state about the population of Western Australia. And we're going, yeah, hey, we're doing good. We are down under a thousand cases. Can you imagine if there were a thousand cases in Brisbane? It's kind of a different world. It's a different concept. No, we, we had one. Governmental styles. We had yeah. one. And they, they shut the whole city down. So, Yeah, uh, well, that's because they care more about people than about money. It's a different uh, national construct. Mm, mm. Now, uh, isolation. How long were you in isolation for? Yeah, a couple of weeks, several well, weeks. And uh, basically, we did have to go out to pick up food. But it was that cut touchless curbside delivery of food. We did have a big food supply uh, tied in worrying about the uh, insurrection, which we did see. And mm. the threat of still may not be over. So fortunately, we had a big stock of food at the house and we were able to go out and uh, pick up some food uh, from the grocery stores with curbside delivery. But basically, we just hung out at the house. Fortunately, we have a nice house, had to feed the ducks, had to feed the dogs. So, you know, much, much better for me Mm. than for somebody, say, stuck in an apartment. But I can only imagine someone stuck in a one or two bedroom apartment with a couple of kids, three or four people. And you just can't go out. You can't go out and expose yourself to other people, because from what I understand, and I just have layman's knowledge, we're talking about a basic 10 day period, at least that you would be contagious. And it was nip and tuck for me. And it's certainly easy to see why with folks that have other comorbidities that could be in place, somebody who's you know 70 or 80 years old, a COVID could easily be a death sentence. Don't think this uh, whole COVID thing is finished yet. I mean, uh, some would say I can't wait to see the end of it. I, I perhaps can wait to see the end of it because who knows, it's uh, morphing into uh, different different strains and it's doing all sorts of wild things right now. Governments around the world are sort of lurching from the left to the right. Um, so who knows? But at the moment, you're living in Nevada. We've got to wrap this up because we're busy today, but you're living in Nevada. You've got, <laughs> you've got ducks. You've got um, a, a rabbit. I don't know if you can see. One of the ducks is in the pond right now. I don't know if you can see him too well. But he's uh, trying to get over to the girls' side. He, we, have to, uh, se- we have to separate the boys and girls because uh, just like with a lot of humans, the ducks really don't understand consent. No, but he's but he's looking delicious. And um, <laughs> look, Kirk, we'll do we'll do it longer next week. Thank you very much for your time. You have to take care. We love you very dearly, and uh, just just take care of yourself and say hello to Mark for us too. We'll do it. You have a great time and stay safe there. Mm. Kirk Clyde in Las Vegas. Many thanks to Kirk. One man fighting lockdowns, big government control, media hysteria and social media censorship is Sanjeev Sevlok. Sanjeev Sevlok is a political philosopher, economist, scientist and author of The Great Hysteria and the Broken State. Sanjeev, once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, pleasure. Now, The Great Hysteria and the Broken State. In this book, you talk about why lockdowns amount to public health terrorism. Can you explain what you mean by public health terrorism? Well, I think anything that goes, uh, anything that's disproportionate, I think that's the basic definition of extremism. Uh, it's, uh, you know, when you start going to the extreme end, which is disproportionate, 
And when that extremism starts harming anyone, uh, I think we're fair, it's a fair call to call it te- terrorism. So that's how we define the general terrorism, you know, the, the uh, whatever that's been going on. Uh, but in this particular case, public health has uh, a long history of uh, excesses. Uh, I've documented that in my complaint to the International Criminal Court, which came out much after this book. So that's, this book was finished uh, on the on the 3rd of October. And then I spent about 20 days uh, writing the International Criminal Court complaint where I've got a lot more details. So anyway, the point about the extremism and terrorism and the fact that public health is very susceptible, uh, given the fact that a lot of its policies apply universally across the board it's very susceptible to overstepping the mark of ethics and 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 potentially causing harm so i've got a very extensive analysis and public health professionals are very concerned and very aware and there's a lot of literature an enormous number of books actually on this issue of where the line should be drawn on public health uh and in this particular case uh the idea of lockdowns was considered very carefully and rejected repeatedly in the public health literature for anything to do with flu-like viruses. In fact, for Ebola as well, the only country that tried was not the Western countries, but Africa. In, 20, in, 2000, uh, 19, sorry, in 1990s, I think one, once in 1990s and another year in 2014. And the review of that was uh, very clear that the uh, lockdowns are actually more harmful and do not even uh, protect from Ebola. So, this, so the ethical issues here, the scientific issues here were very clear from the very beginning that any any public health measure that goes beyond the proportionality requirements, which are embedded in our legislation all across the board, Biosecurity Act, the Public Health Act, and so on, and all the international laws, they all talk about the proportionality. And so when it becomes disproportionate, uh, Mike, uh, there is a tendency for extremism. And in this, in this case, because it has caused so much uh, collateral damage, uh, harms, which I call torture of millions of people across the world and, of course, in Australia as well, children particularly, self-harm and so many other issues. In addition, it's caused so many other deaths due to the lockdowns, and that's coming out. The data is very prolific. It's everywhere now. Conclusive proofs that lockdowns actually kill and they'd save absolutely nobody. With that acknowledgement that the approach has been totally wrong, what yes. do you see happening in Australia with successive waves of coronaviruses and maybe another pandemic? As you know, uh, Mike, I published an article, I wrote an article for The Australian on the 30th of uh, uh, December, in which I I outlined the Swedish example where there was absolutely no lockdowns. They followed the standard Western model, which is also part of Victoria's uh, pandemic plan and everywhere else. So that model, by the way, why I'm alluding to that is it actually is designed to deal with all kinds of flu pandemics. This is a flu type of pandemic. It's not a flu pandemic, but it's very similar to that. And for these pandemics, there are certain things that do not work, like contact tracing, like quarantines and so on. They just cannot work. And, and so there is a kind of a long history theory and, and science behind dealing with these things. And so if you I don't know, you know, but I've been I'm 60, 61 years old. I've never heard of this idea of lockdowns and border closures mm. anywhere in my whole life. OK, so this is totally unprecedented. And I have demonstrated it repeatedly. A lot of other people have demonstrated it repeatedly. This is completely unprecedented. Now, the problem with that, however, as you rightly say, is that now this sets a precedent. OK, and unless the people fight back and I can guarantee you guarantee that none of the politicians are going to uh, you know, uh, fight back here. The Labour Party and Liberal Party in Australia and also in most other parts of the world, their you know, major parties who actually fell into the trap. They're not going to say they're wrong. It's not human nature. So the only thing that's going to happen is people like me uh, and maybe like you and others. I don't I don't know. I'm hoping everybody speaks out. Uh, you know, actually, uh, 
raising a voice of concern and saying this is not the way we are supposed to deal with these things. Let's get back to the original science that we were, you know, we are part of in the Western civilization. And so that's where the risk is. The risk is very huge now that this is going to happen again and again uh, for every small thing. And by the way, the Swedish example, I say, because it was the data are very clear. This is barely a little bit worse than a bad flu. It is a little bit less than the Hong Kong flu. Okay, so it's nowhere near the Spanish flu. It would have it would have needed to be about uh, roughly around, I would say, uh, a uh, about 80 times or 50 to 80 times more or even 100 times bigger in terms of the magnitude uh, in order to become Spanish flu. But till till in the till November, I remember the last I read, these guys in Australia were calling this a Spanish flu. Hmm. So we've got this hysterical creation of a, uh, of a panic among the population, uh, which has led to this. A very difficult situation where the politicians aren't going to get out of it. The people are completely hysterical. They, they, so we have a risk that Australia is going to be completely, uh, you know, in trouble in the future. This is going to set a very bad example, uh, unfortunately, Mike. Mm. Uh, you're very outspoken. Uh, we know what happens to those that are outspoken and that don't go along the narrative of what's been said in mainstream media and with big tech, in fact, and with social media. Um, have you experienced any censorship of your views? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. This has been quite a quite a bit of a shock for me because I, I actually am very much used to speaking my mind, uh, uh, particularly, you know, now that I was a free man. Uh, and the LinkedIn, by the way, uh, completely banned me for uh, for raising matters which are well documented, completely well cited, uh, you know, information. And they banned me completely. They've completely eliminated me from LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook banned me a couple of times, and so I've stopped using Facebook. Uh, Twitter has banned me once. Uh, in addition, of course, uh, the Australian Financial Review asked me to write an article on the quarantines of uh, Victoria. And then I actually said something because these guys, by the way, the Fin Review has been supporting the quarantines. All that they've been saying is the quarantines are done badly. In my article, I said, actually, the quarantines itself are a bad idea. And that article will be published by The Spectator very shortly. But unfortunately, the Fin Review, which actually asked me for that article, did not publish that article. So now we see here that people are unwilling. And I can actually cite another couple of articles, which I will not at this point. But I sense, I sense a bit of censorship. Channel 7 is a very clear example. They took my interview after, uh, on the 17th of September, and they canned it completely. And they did a, a good morning show later on, but that is all they did. And the main thing they did is they spent took one hour of my time on the 7th of, uh, uh, 17th of September, and that never came out. So there has been significant amount of censorship. However, in this modern day and world, you know, modern day age, we do have conversations like the one I'm having right now. And some and the information is going out slowly and steadily uh, until we get taken off. Also, free speech Um it's not a luxury, it's a right. Uh, we need to protect that and fight for it as much as we can. Sanjeev Sablok, uh, economist, scientist, philosopher, author of The Great Hysteria and the Broken State. Uh, before we go, where can we get your book? Where can we get your book? Where, hasn't, where haven't you been banned? Uh, this book is, of course, available widely uh, uh, on Amazon and many other bookstores. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anyone can search on the Internet. So it's a Kindle edition as well as the hard copy, the one I showed you just mm -hmm. now. Yeah, so the, the book is, uh, I, th I, I still hold on to almost every word I said in the book. Uh, and almost every word I said has actually come true. Mm -hmm. All my predictions about, you know, so-called second waves and other things. Mm -hmm. uh, you can actually go through that and see that I've been pretty much spot on. And that was October. But in, since then, I've written a hell of a lot more. And uh, right now, I'll be writing a couple of other books. Uh, one, And they're not for printing and so on. They'll be in the public domain forever. One is a, a book called Pandemic of Pandemic Hysterias. 
because this is not the first such hysteria. Uh, Mike, there have been others in the mm. past, much smaller scale, but there have been plenty of them. And so, the, you know, the avian flu, the swine flu and so on. So there have been examples where the World Health Organization has come out with massive numbers, like 150 million people will die and whatnot. And of course, nothing happened. So we see uh, this hysterical thing and uh, happening again and again. So I need to write some more material on that. Uh, my supplementary submission to the International Criminal Court, uh, the ICC complaint was uh, 150 pages long, very extensive, and I want to write another 150 pages or more uh, on supplementary material, which I've been collecting. So, yeah, there's a lot of material I've been writing, which is in the free uh, public domain. Uh, this book, unfortunately, have to be purchased at the moment. Uh, I hope it'll be pirated at some stage and then people can take it for free because I really don't care for the money here. I'm here for the communication of the message, uh, Mike. But uh, the publisher has to survive. So please do buy the book, actually. <laughs> Sanjeev, you're fighting the good fight. And uh, thank you very much for your time and keep up the good work. Thank you, Mike. I'm dismayed at the hysteria for the media, which creates absolute panic and fear in the community. Great for clickbait, pretty poor for credibility. The media simply is a PR firm for government, big tech and the oligarchs such as George Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, uh, Bill Gates, who want you to do as you are told. It's for the greater good, or at least their greater good. And I understand that politicians have their agenda. What they don't understand is that it's not their agenda they should focus on. It's our agenda they should focus on. And tell the truth. I'm Mike Ryan.